Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome back, everyone. This is Jeff with Gyro Nation Metal. Dark Mage is a solo melodic black metal project out of Ontario in a small town located just outside of Ottawa. Chris Landry is the driving force behind Dark Mage's music, and he released his debut album, Tales from Solitude, on October 4th, 2022. Chris is responsible not only for the music, but the mixing and mastering as well. Please join us today as we chat more about Dark Mage and Chris's approach to black metal. Chris, it's good to meet you. Ah, thank you for having me. The other day I asked if you had any previous interviews and you turned me on to your podcast done with uh, Tales from the Riff. So some of these questions are going to piggyback on those just for any listeners who haven't heard of you or haven't heard your music. But I also want to build on some of those things as well. I found out some pretty interesting topics that I'd like to chat about. So I guess let's just jump right into it. I know I hate saying that because that's what a podcast is for, but Dark Mage is listed as being just formed this year. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to think Uh, it might have been around the start of 2022 when I actually like you know what, I'm going to start a project. And then like I previously had my name as like, it was Argun, but I, I did change it for a few reasons, which I can I can touch on after. But um, yeah, and it definitely was a rocky start for sure because um, my stepbrother, he moved away to uh, New Brunswick for the military. So I got to take over his room as kind of like a little music room. So uh, that was pretty exciting. And um. But yeah, definitely a lot of YouTube videos, a lot of learning to get started. And even with songwriting, like there's a million ways you could start with that. So definitely took me a little bit to get into my rhythm. And so did you start uh, songwriting this year or is that something that you've kind of been working on over the years? So I originally like uh, got my interface to record guitar covers and stuff like that. I had two. I covered Gematria by Slipknot and um, I put that on YouTube. Uh, but then eventually I got interested in writing, um, definitely a band that really, really like pushed me to start writing. It was, uh, Karak Ongren. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. No, but I've heard you chat about them. Uh, how do you spell that name? It's C-A-R-A-C-H and then A-N-G-R-E-N. Okay. I'll definitely check them out afterwards. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely crazy. It's kind of like Dimmu Borgir next level kind of stuff. It's like really intense. And I just really love the orchestration. Like I was always a pretty big Flesh God Apocalypse fan. I love their orchestration, but they just had like a completely new approach. So that's definitely what like pushed me to start songwriting, I'd say. Mm-hmm. I think a couple of their tracks just made it into, uh, I'm probably going to butcher this because I don't have it right off the, uh, right in front of me, but I think they were, I think they're being included. And I, again, I could be wrong. I'm probably wrong, but maybe a couple of their tracks made it into the Berkeley College of Music or something like that. They're actually being taught at a university because of the orchestration. Oh, really? I'll have to fact check that while we do this, but uh, yeah. If yeah, I can't find awesome. it now, I'll definitely let you know later. Yeah, for sure. I'm intrigued. Because yeah, the orchestration's crazy. So I was like, when I listened to them, I was like, how do they do this? Like, what, what, what's the method? So I reached out to uh, Clemens, their uh, keyboardist and orchestrator. I think that's the oh, word. Cool. <laughs> On Instagram. And uh, we set up, I think we had two lessons in total. He was really good about it. He made like a document stating like everything we went over and kind of like some tips and stuff like that. But he was definitely awesome. really insightful to kind of get me started and in going into songwriting. So yeah, that was awesome. What aspects about songwriting are the most, um, I guess, most interesting to you? That's a good question. I'd say it definitely fluctuates a lot. I can say with confidence, probably one of my least favorite is writing lyrics. I enjoy like actually screaming them, but writing lyrics is definitely one of those like, how do I how do I come off not too cheesy, but at the same time, like really stereotypically fantasy black metal, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, probably I this might like a lot of people will disagree with me on this, but I actually really like programming drums. Like I really like it. Interesting. What goes into that that's different than like creating uh, riffs or playing bass for you? Um, so like I, I like I said, I listen to like a lot of Karak Ongren and like Flesh God Apocalypse and Dissection and people like that. And then I just like took it, or even death, like a lot of the later death records, like just the drumming in there. It just like made the whole album I found like I just kind of found without the drumming or without different beat or somebody else behind the kid, it just like, it wouldn't be the same album. So I just kind of took an appreciation for how much the drums actually contribute. You've been playing music for, I'd say, most of your life at this point, uh, being involved in a few different styles of music when since you were quite young. You first picked up the bass when you seriously began, I guess, moving into music as a, I don't want to call it a profession, but a serious hobby. Uh, why the bass? That's a good question. I must have been around like 
9 or 10 at the time. And oh, I remember actually, it was because of Cliff Burton from Metallica. Mm. Definitely huge inspiration. Like that one video of him playing For Whom the Bell Tolls. It, it pretty much just inspired me to go grab a bass. And uh, I was in a little band camp at the time for, because uh, uh, I used to go to a music, music, whatchamacallit. I, I used to take lessons and the owner would always run little band camps every summer. So uh, one of the guys there, he was selling a bass for like pretty cheap. And you can kind of see it in the background there in the corner. <laughs> mm -hmm. I still have it. And I recorded uh, the demo with it. But uh, yeah, like just kind of started from there. And then my dad started playing guitar seriously. And that's when I kind of switched over to guitar because of him, I'd say. Okay. Two things. I did find out that I was wrong. It was actually Septic Flesh. Uh, Berkeley College oh, yeah, has yeah. four Septic, tra uh, Septic Flesh tracks to their library. So uh, the tracks being accepted are Dark Art, Enemy of Truth, Portrait of a Headless Man, and The Vampire of Nazareth. All great choices, really? of course. Yeah. yeah. So that's pretty interesting. And the second thing is there is a little bit of that um, feedback. Well, let's just continue on kind of versatile with everything that you do here. So what, what would you say has been more difficult to learn, either the bass or the vocals? That's a that's a good question. I did recently upgrade to a fretless bass because I really, really like tech death and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know what? That could sound sick. So definitely learning a fretless bass has been challenging, but I would say vocals because it's uh, how do I put it into words? Like a lot of like older black metal bands, they they could scream. But like I I was always drawn towards like a lot of deathcore vocals like Lil Ramos from Lorna Shore and like Alex Terrible from Slaughter to Prevail. I just find like their dynamics and they're they're just super talented. So I definitely I didn't want to have a crappy scream because a lot of people they've told me like when the vocals kick into X song, they'll turn it off because they suck. So that was definitely a struggle for me because when I recorded my album, I wasn't using this mic. I only got it recently. I was using a condenser mic which are pretty bad for picking up screams. And uh, in in turn, I, I just didn't like the way my screams sounded. So I just put a lot of distortion on them. And um, like, I don't know. I was almost trying to get kind of a spectral wound sound. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like that distorted vocal sound. But I don't think it turned out that well. But it's okay. Moving forward, I, I haven't really been distorting them that much because I like the way they sound, especially with this microphone. So yeah. Well, and you've got nothing but time to learn. So I think no matter what you do, you're going to be progressing either way. Oh, yeah, exactly. And it, it's like super nice when I look back at my old projects, and then I hear my vocals and then compare it to like how they are now. It's just like, huge difference. And so you said that you were trying to incorporate more like aggressive deathcore style vocals. So how do you choose what styles of vocals you'd like to incorporate into your music and do you often experiment to see what would sound best with your songs i do yes so like when with vocals honestly it goes from track to track i'd say i've noticed a pattern that whenever there's kind of more of a mellow slower not like slow per se but like a mid-tempo kind of song i definitely go for a more mid-range scream like a bit deeper than if it was really fast i usually do like the really aggressive kind of high screams and sometimes I'll just do a mix of both, just like at different parts, kind of what I'm feeling like, oh, that'll sound cool. And then I'll try it and it'll sound stupid or it'll sound cool. So yeah, definitely a ton of experimenting. Something I found interesting during your last, in your last interview there was um, that you said you kind of wanted the music to follow the story. And so like the more intense, chaotic portions were kind of more aggressive, more in your face music, whereas the kind of lulls in the story would be incorporated with like either instrumentals or a little bit more of a calm approach to it. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely tried to do that, like, um, especially in my album, maybe not as much in my newer songs. I've definitely taken a little bit of a different approach, but like I, I took a lot of inspiration from that portion from Carrick Ongren because they are phenomenal storytellers in their songs. And just like when something's really intense, the music ramps up. And then when something's like kind of has you on the edge of your seat or it's more like suspense, I guess, then it, it'll be more like creepy, kind of eerie quieter i don't know if that makes sense but yeah no totally and, it, and i think like a music music should be able to kind of reflect what's going on in the story i mean when you're reading a book you kind of get that same sensation so why not have the music complement it yeah yeah for sure like uh clemens when i had my uh when i had my lessons with him he told me that like sometimes what he'll do for ideas is he'll watch like he'll put on like clips of like indiana jones or like jurassic park or something like that like one of those movies on mute and then he'll like because he's a piano player, he'll like write how he thinks that that should sound, if that makes sense. 
And he said that's, that's cool. how he draws a lot of his inspiration. So yeah, that was super interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, that could work out so well in fantasy, in the fantasy realm too. There's so much to pick from. Oh yeah, for sure. Definitely. Because like in all those D&D books, they just, they're so good at like setting the mood. And then you're like, this is how this could sound. It's kind of like, kind of hard to explain, but yeah. I'm guessing you're an avid D&D player. I am. Yes. I'm actually going to D&D uh, later today with my group. And uh, yeah, we get together every Monday and it's always a fun time. But yeah, I've been playing D&D for maybe four years now. Nice. I keep telling people that I should get on it because I have like friends, uh, family members that play it. And I always want to, but I never seem to just bite the bullet and do it. I know it'll be enjoyable, but I think it's one of those things that I would probably just get way too interested in. Yeah, fair enough. I've definitely been guilty of that. Definitely buying way too many books that I'll never read and still haven't read. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. like you can find mostly everything online. Like my cousin, he's plays D and D a lot, and he always like, "Why do you get the books? Like, just find them online." Like, I like the books. I I, I like awesome. having physical copies of stuff. I'm, I'm even like that with music. Like, I have tons of cassettes and records. So, <laughs> yeah. There's something to be said about physical media, like whether you like the artwork or you like the just having that something tangible in your hand. It's the yeah, same reason sure. I like reading books as opposed to something on a tablet or like a Kindle. Uh, yeah, 100%. Definitely a big difference. In starting Dark Mage just this year, when did you start to put together the idea of your own full-length album? And why black metal? Um. So honestly, like before I started the project, I wasn't like really heavily into black metal. I like... I listened to Freezing Moon by Mayhem and I thought it was like the most evil thing ever. So I just watched a bunch of YouTube videos and like, oh, they're so crazy. Their history is so wild. You know, watch Lords of Chaos, did all that stuff. And um, honestly, I just really, really like the atmosphere of black metal. I found that. I, I don't know, like you can, you can have a good song, but like all of those songs wouldn't sound the same if they were like mixed insanely well and they were like radio quality top level mixes i find that it just the ambience and all that stuff it made such huge difference like probably one of my favorite like albums was uh pure holocaust by immortal mm. and i just found that the mix of that and the drum sound was just crazy so yeah but for like putting together the idea for my full length that was it was after my single and i'm like should i the plan was kind of always there i want to drop my single as kind of like an introduction to kind of like the music I'm going to make and then release the full length after and have it sound a little bit different. So I'd say it was kind of always in the back of my mind. The idea for the concept of it, like the actual story of it didn't come to me until like a lot later. Like a lot of the songs were done. They just didn't have lyrics. So yeah, definitely that, that, that played a lot into it. And how did you come up with taking a storytelling approach to your album as opposed to say something like a personal experience? Uh, that's a very good question, actually. I'd, I'd say, like, uh, I don't know. I've just been always into, like, storytelling and, like, folklore and mythical stories and stuff like that. And I just found I've always connected with that more than just, like, writing about personal experiences and stuff like that. I've honestly found that to be more, like, therapeutic in a way, mm -hmm. just, like, writing a story about something else, kind of, like, creating my own little world i guess so, and so yeah. you obviously wrote this uh wrote the story on your own concept your own uh your own story that you kind of made up yeah yeah so like the the story is pretty much it's about a wizard and he's in a uh in a prison and it's really high up in the sky he's in like a little prison tower thing and uh before he dies he's pretty much writing like stories about his life and what he's seen and things like that and then at the end he kills himself Oh, that's so there nice. you go. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming, actually. I read through most of your lyrics uh, over the past couple of days, and I, oh, yeah. I guess I missed that last portion of it. Yeah, well, like at the end of my last song, um, just before the dissection cover, uh, at the end of it, there, I put like audio of a guy crying and then a knife sound and then somebody hitting the floor. So I was like, you know what? That's a pretty good conclusion. So I just put it in. <laughs> and it's a little bit ambiguous, too. If people didn't read into it or they didn't really pay much attention, they wouldn't really think much of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that was another thing. I really, I definitely would, I urge people to listen to the full thing just to get all the context of it. Because like, yeah, just, I don't know, if you hear a breakdown of a song without anything leading up to it, it's going to suck. So like, it's just like to get the full context, you can appreciate it more, I guess. One thing I noticed about your vocals is, uh, okay, so for me, a lot of times I can't really understand exactly what, 
vocalists are saying necessarily yeah, I and agree. <laughs> that doesn't drive me away clearly like it's i love it but you're very articulate in in a lot of your lines and i didn't even have to read all of the lyrics like i was like oh yeah i heard this i heard this and so that's pretty cool oh, especially thank with you. the diverse approach that you're trying to take with your vocals as well yeah that was definitely the goal because i like when some specific words in songs are highlighted because then it, it just becomes more memorable i i guess like a lot of dissection albums you can pretty much understand what he what he's saying for most of it that's what i found same with like karak ongren and lorna shore like i found that a fair amount of the lyrics you could understand and i was like why why do i like this more and then i realized that some of the most memorable parts in the song is where you can understand what he's saying mm -hmm. yeah even if it is like a little bit uh, what's the word i guess uh, distorted where you can't really yeah. like he's not really saying it properly but you can understand what he's saying based on a sentence or whatever and then you yeah, yeah, go sure. into the lyrics and you're like oh yeah i was right there that's pretty cool yeah exactly i guess that is one downside to a lot of deathcore that i listen to it's all just like really filthy lyrics and you can't you can't really understand or not lyrics filthy vocals so you can't really yeah, understand yeah. what they're saying but i love it either way the sound is just like demonic oh yeah 100 percent. you can't beat deathcore vocals like i'm also a huge infant annihilator fan like, I think they're all insanely talented, even if some of their stuff may be programmed and heavily edited. Just the songwriting, crazy. You chose to go the solo route for Dark Mage. What was the reason behind that? Or is that just something that kind of just manifested naturally? Um, I would honestly say it kind of just happened naturally. I didn't like, well, I've had band experiences in the past and <laughs> most of them weren't the best. Like I was in a thrash metal band then I got booted out of that. So then I just, um, I was like, I don't know. It honestly just kind of happened naturally. I'd say a lot of it has to play into that. The Ottawa metal scene is terrible. It's like, it's really scarce. There, there isn't really much of a scene, but like, I love everybody in the scene. Like they're, they're all awesome, but it, it's hard, definitely hard to find people for a band. I'd say. Uh, you mentioned in your last interview that part of the problem was finding people your own age. So I'm wondering if that's still if that's still accurate. If you're talking about like the scene as a whole, yeah, there there is definitely that. Like, um, the guys I'm playing live with, uh, they all play in different bands. Like, they all have their own bands going. Um, but yeah, like somebody who's like around my age, it, it's pretty hard to find who would be like dedicated to songwriting and stuff like that. Have you ever thought of bringing people in from different age groups, uh, different like experience levels and stuff like that to play live so you can bounce ideas off of or learn from? Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, I've definitely thought of that. I, I would 100% like uh, I'd be down to bring a bunch of people of different ages into the group. But I just find there would definitely be a disconnect if I was writing with like two or three 40 year olds because I'm 16. Mm. So it would be a like it would definitely be harder. And with people my own age, just because like I can connect with them more and the chemistry is kind of more there. It kind of mm. happens naturally, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. I think it could be a cool approach. Like even if you were to, I don't want to say like a focus group, but get together with those guys from different age groups, because then you can connect based on music and kind of see where their experience could lead you as well. Yeah, I always yeah, try to 100%. learn from people that have been in the game longer than me uh, when it comes to work and stuff like that. So it's from my perspective, I just try to keep sometimes the personal stuff out of it because there's there's not always something to connect about. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, like I'm always messaging different bands on Instagram, trying to get insight onto like how they write, how they do everything just to get like more experience or more tips, just learning from people who've already done it a bunch. Mm -hmm. They're always I, the best a, I know I'm jumping around a little bit here, of course. Yeah, no worries. Okay, so nail the mix. That's what I was thinking of. So in your last interview again, and again, I'm always going to be touching on this because it's yeah. some good material, but um, you mentioned learning, uh, mixing and mastering through Nail the Mix. So this is, from what I understand, it's a place where professional musical engineers can go on and basically put how they worked through their music online so you guys can learn from it. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Like, um, you, they have a bunch of stems of like popular songs like Amon Amarth, Opeth, Jason Richardson. There was the Lorna Shore one, like Polyphia. Guys like that with like really high production quality and then the person who mixed it they'll have like I'm trying to remember how long the videos are i think some of them are like they're around five to six hours like they're really long so you definitely have to split them up <laughs> but it, it, there's a lot of good information in there and all the stems definitely i've used them the most even without like the videos it just gives me an insight to see how like some of these professional guys actually record because like 
it's a lot different than how I record. So yeah, definitely. Well, and especially just getting into the game, just learning. So kind of every little bit of information is valuable. Um, yeah. Are these the actual engineers that are putting their stuff on line or is it someone going through and saying, this is what they did here? Oh, no, no. It's the, it's the actual engineer, which, which I, I really liked because it, it's good to like get their thought process. Like one of them for the Lorna Shore mix, he made everything like clip pretty much everything was really really loud and like normally if you asked another engineer they'd be like oh what are you doing like it's, it's all clipping but like he said i forget what he said he just wanted the snare to be really punchy so we made it like as loud as he possibly could <laughs> and i mean it worked out the only like i think i said this in the last interview but like uh something that definitely did kind of suck is that like all of these guys they have professional studios with professional equipment and really expensive plugins so it's kind of hard to emulate exactly what they did but i also found that it forced me to get more creative and like use the tools that i'm stuck with to try mm -hmm. and get that same sound so it was good and bad i guess well and this is going to be a shit analogy here but uh it's kind of like working out you have to start with low weight and proper form and then over time you'll get to that same threshold i guess so over time you're going to be upgrading your equipment you're going to be getting those the different software and all that kind of stuff and obviously some soundproofing or whatever so yeah exactly right now everyone every well not right now but everyone starts somewhere so i'd say you're doing a pretty good job already yeah for sure thank you i wanted to ask um some of my previous guests who have been in solo projects they feel like they're basically not limited creatively but something that stood out to me is like i'm not a very creative person so i think i would be hindered by working only by myself i'm wondering if you've ever felt like creatively limited because you don't have anyone to bounce ideas off of that's honestly like you hit the nail on the head there that's it that's exactly it like i it it goes both ways like there are times where i'm like i love how i can do this and nobody can tell me that it sucks or that they don't like it and then i have to change it like it's really good being able to do exactly what you want without anybody to argue with you over it but at the same time there are those times where i'm like it would be so much better with just like one person just to like share ideas with to try and come up with like new songwriting ideas because one thing i've definitely noticed is that since it's a solo project i'm only drawing from my inspirations and that i feel like will get a bit repetitive because if you have like a band of four people there's like all these different inspirations coming through because nobody they're all not going to listen to the exact same bands but like yeah it's definitely you know it, it goes both ways <laughs> Well, and even if you have the same inspirations, they might take a different approach to their music. Like they might yeah, have for some sure. of the same elements, but the way they interpret the music is, is probably different than yours. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, so I've, I'm trying to, the last guitarist that played for me at my uh, at my last show, uh, uh, we're going to get together soon, and I'm pretty sure we're going to write some write a song or something together just to see how that goes. But um, yeah, we haven't set up a date or anything. It's just kind of a thought. <laughs> have you thought about more about playing shows or touring live? I'd really, really like to. The only thing is, is that since I'm, I'm playing with guys and they're all in different projects, they, they've all told me like my other project is going to be my main focus, just saying. So I would like in the future to have people that are like really, really dedicated and into it, but like, that's going to be pretty difficult. Like I'm still super thankful they're playing for me. They're still, they're really, really talented guys and all super friendly and, um, yeah, but Honestly, it's just a fun time to jam and all that stuff. So, yeah. I guess one option would be to branch out and to do things remotely. But I think, and this is, again, from an outsider's perspective, but I think some of that, that personal relationship is lost through streaming and through uh, remote practicing and stuff like that. I get the feeling, for me, if I was in a group with a bunch of dudes and trying to get some music together, we'd be able to play off each other right away, keep each other in check when needed, and then also bring the best ideas forward. But when you're kind of, when you're remote, nothing really sounds the same or feels the same uh, yeah i would agree with that i'm definitely more of like an in-person kind of person like it, it it just wouldn't be the same if they were all at home <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and it also feels weird trying to put together one small bit of a whole project when you guys are all apart even different countries or something like that yeah yeah for sure yeah i've definitely noticed like I, I've thought about doing the remote, like getting some other people in on it from somewhere else in the world. I've thought about that, but I, I know it wouldn't be the same. And then how do we play live? It's just like impossible because I do enjoy 
playing live. I think it's really enjoyable for me. Yeah, it seems to be the consensus with a lot of uh, yeah, uh, for sure. <laughs> it seems to be one of the selling features of making music is have people there enjoying your craft. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like the last show that we played, um, it, it was all covers. For the next one, we're doing originals, but for that one, it was all cover. It was all covers. And I remember we played "I'm the Black Wizards" by Emperor, and it it was like the show was in a basement. It was in a really, really, really cramped basement, <laughs> but like you know, the vibe was there. And I just remember looking up and I saw like a really massive mosh pit, and I was just like, nice. It was just like a great feeling. <laughs> Especially if they know your lyrics. Oh, yeah, for sure. Speaking of lyrics again, I know that we're, again, jumping around everywhere. And <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure. That, but um, I'm kind of interested in where you drew your inspiration for the story. You mentioned in the past uh, that you're a huge fan of fantasy, so like D&D, obviously. Uh, Elder Scrolls, Witcher, Magic. Oh, yeah, 100%. So, like, honestly, fantasy, I don't know why. It's just one of those genres that kind of speaks to me. Like, I, I'd say I really, like, I first experience with that was magic the gathering i might have started when i was like eight or nine and then skyrim probably also played that when i was like eight nine or ten somewhere around there and skyrim to this day is one of my favorite games of all time i still love that game to death and um i didn't play the witcher till recently but that was phenomenal and like i i don't know just the the fantasy genre it's just always been like it's always spoke to me like i, I don't know if it's because it's medieval i really like medieval stuff and like the history and all that but um it's just i don't know just kind of connects with me were there any specific fantasy series that you drew from for this story that's a very good question i'm trying to think now um in my song necromantic it's about a necromancer in the woods and pretty much he hates himself and he kidnaps people Anyway, it's just some kook in the forest. I drew that from pretty much some random necromancer in the forest in a cabin in Skyrim. Like, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> there was like this specific one. I think her name was like Anise or something. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much what it was. That's what I was envisioning the entire time when I was writing it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing I hated about Skyrim is you'd just be walking along and then all of a sudden there's these fucking necromancers or these uh these other creatures that just come out of nowhere you're like what are you doing I'm trying to they trying to go do to piss the question mark over there <laughs> yeah 100 <laughs> percent. have you gone through oblivion or morrowind i played oblivion i loved that game it was amazing morrowind i started couldn't really get into it i don't know if it's because of the graphics like some people might get angry at me for that but like i don't know i, I don't think i could get past that i did play daggerfall though mm. mostly because the entire soundtrack is pretty much dungeon synth. I was like, you know what? That's sick. So yeah, I played through Daggerfall. It was pretty good. It was like, it was a big map, like way too big. But you know, it was fun nonetheless, I guess. And Daggerfall, is that one of the ones that were still procedurally generated? What do you mean by that? Sorry? Um, I think, I can't remember exactly, but I remember reading a long time ago that uh, I think the first one or two Elden, uh, Elder Scrolls games were um, procedurally generated in a, in a way that a lot, everything was randomized. So you oh, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it was huge, but it wasn't the same every every time. So you could go through Skyrim a hundred times, know exactly where everything was. I think, yeah, because I'm pretty sure I started another playthrough, and I could be very wrong, but for some reason I remember a lot of the locations being in different spots. I know a lot of it is randomly generated, like where the houses are. So, yeah, definitely. Okay. I, I think the reason I stayed away from Morrowind was not necessarily because of the graphics, but because of a lot of the... Um, I guess the fast travel, uh, the way you get from places to places, the quests yeah. and all that stuff. It seemed a lot more user-friendly in Oblivion and Skyrim. Yeah, for sure. And you touched on Magic the Gathering, so have you been playing that for a long time too? Oh yeah, I, I still play it. I, uh, I'm i running a vampire deck right now. All my friends hate it because I get tons of life. But um, yeah, I, I've always been playing it with one of my really good friends who lives just down the street. So uh, he's he's dming the current campaign so we get along a lot over that stuff but yeah i haven't played in a while actually but um yeah i definitely always loved magic you have any specific formats that you really enjoy what do you mean by like format sorry uh there are like official formats from wizards of the coast like vintage legacy oh Standard, yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff we definitely play a lot of um oh god what's it called i think it's modern is that the one where you can use them from any set 
I think there's a few different ones with different band lists. Um, for me, like a lot of my cards would fall under Vintage and Legacy now because I don't really keep up with a lot of the new stuff. Yeah, neither but, do I. Um, what I think it's not standard. I just looked at this the other day, but now I forget. But it's the one with the three most recent releases. I used to really like playing that, but that makes you keep buying it every time. Yeah, I I did used to do that. Like I used to, we used to have a game store, and uh, me and my friend would always go to the pre-releases. But then they unfortunately shut down, so we couldn't do that anymore. That was pretty sad. But yeah, I I would go to the odd tournament with like a standard deck and like with all the new cards. But eventually. I don't know. My friend will disagree with me, but like, I like where you can play with all the cards from every set. He doesn't like it because he says it's pretty much pay to win, which he's not wrong. But like, when we're just playing against each other, it's not like we have thousands of dollars to spend on magic. So, no, exactly. That's actually part of the problem I have with Magic is that um, even if it is like standard, uh, the most current sets, you can still kind of pay to win if you know exactly what you're looking for. And then with yeah. the internet, you can look up the most deadly combos and that kind of takes the fun away from it for me. So in order to circumvent that, what I did with my friends is we would do our own booster draft nights and buy like a booster box or two, just go around the room and it's like you get what you get. Or we took another approach and we said, okay, you can buy whatever you want, real cards only, but you can only spend 30 bucks. And oh, really? That, that sounds fun. If it was anything like a basic land wouldn't be considered part of the cost like we would just mm -hmm. we'd have enough lands that we could just give those out but if you were to buy yeah. a specialty land or something like that that would be included in the 30 bucks yeah yeah huh never thought of that i know we want to host like a tournament between uh just him and i and then his uh brother because he also plays and uh yeah we just never really got around to it because we have to go out in ottawa and it's like half an hour away mm -hmm. so <laughs> yeah well another way to get people engaged in this um it, it might I don't know how it would look on your end, but what I did, I did this fuck in junior high, I think. Um, I put together like an unofficial tournament. So I went down to my local hobby store and I, I think he's still there, but it was called Dick's Collectibles. And we used to go down there all the time to buy cards and he would just give oh, us yeah. like, he had his own personal collection and he would be like, okay, take a stack. And he'd show us the size based on his fingers just for people that can't see what I'm doing. He'd say, take a stack this big because we'd spend so much money there and then host these tournaments so we put together a tournament of like 16 guys we told him what we were doing we bought all the product from him and then he threw in some extra stuff just for like oh, rewards really? and stuff like that so everyone had to pay 10 bucks to get in but with all the prizes quote unquote that we got from him everyone yeah. walked out of there with something even if they got last place really obviously it wasn't sanctioned by sanctioned by wizards but it was mm -hmm. just a bunch of you know teenagers having fun and that's what he yeah was exactly for. yeah exactly that's always the goal of most hobby shops i think yeah, definitely, just especially when you're passionate fun. about it. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's always the best. The problem is when the customer just turns into a source of income. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I know we got lost on a bit of a tangent, but I want to jump back into <laughs> music here. So you also mixed and mastered the album, as we've already touched on. What was the most difficult thing about that to learn and uh, subsequently the most rewarding? That's a good question. The hardest to mix, I would say it would be a tie between uh vocals were pretty hard now i found an easy formula that kind of works for vocals but for my album vocals they were pretty hard like i had no idea what to do with them how to make them sound better but hardest i would say drums because i did kind of try to emulate the sound from pure holocaust by immortal by like scooping the mids out of the snare didn't work too well it kind of just sounded like a big kerfuffle of noise for the drums. But um, the drums were pretty hard, just getting all the volumes right. And then like what, how to make, I had an issue with making the, the snare cut through the mix, but that's just because I scooped the mids for some reason. But yeah. <laughs> so what are some of the things that you're going to focus on for your new music? And like you've touched on already having some of the songs written. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of... Uh, I have a bunch of new songs, actually. I've definitely, I've found I've ad adopted more of my own style in all the new stuff. Like, it doesn't really sound like a ripoff of anybody anymore. I'd say, like, my new stuff is probably some of my favorite, like, songs that I've written yet. Definitely compared to the album. And I still don't know if I'm going to release a single or an EP next. I'm still kind of toying with that. Are you going to continue with the story uh, aspect of things and maybe keeping things in the same universe? Or is that something you've thought of? Um, yeah, yeah. So I kind of want to sort of like, I, I've definitely thought about that, like kind of building a universe, sort of that like all my music is kind of based in, like, just with a bunch of different parts, like I made one, I made one song, it's really intense. It's pretty much kind of like, 
I don't know, Aladdin themed, I guess. It's about, uh, I forget what I named it. I think it was like Buried in Sand or something like that. It's about this guy that gets buried in sand by elf elf bandits. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, so, yeah, I kind of want to have everything in sort of a same universe. I kind of like that idea. I think it's hard to do over albums, and that's only because you're you're writing such short stories in the songs. You're kind of limited by uh, word count, essentially. Yeah, yeah, but definitely. Really cool approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've definitely like you're right about that because there is only so much that you can fit into like six minutes or something. But um, I find it definitely pays off in the end if you can do it properly, and that's still what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Well, with proper proper storytelling as well, you're leaving a lot of that up to uh, the the listeners. I was going to say users, the listeners' imagination. So you're not world building as much. You're kind of just getting to the point and letting them fill in the blanks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've also liked that aspect because, like, I, I always like when people can imagine something different. Like, if I told you to imagine a door, are probably how I see a door and how you see a door would be different. So I've always kind of liked that aspect. Yeah automatic or do i have to open it myself wood or yeah, exactly <laughs> is it already open or is it closed who knows yeah touched on your uh album artwork in your last interview and how you said it uh, miranda young basically just captured exactly what you were looking for and that that is such a huge piece of the music for you um did you seek her out specifically or is that something you came uh did did you come by her by chance so um the label i'm working with death eternal i asked him i'm like all right, so I have an idea for my album cover. Literally, I was sitting in my bed. And I'm like, all right, wizard writing in a book in a prison. And I literally like wrote down as many details as I could. And I just asked him. I got a lot of pictures of like art from D&D books in the 90s. Like, you know, those like really vibrant. Just like those for me are like incredible. And I was like, hey, do you know anybody who can do something kind of similar to this? And he's like, yeah, my really good friend Miranda. And then she he uh, gave me her Instagram. And then it kind of started from there and she did it for a super reasonable rate. Like, uh, hold on. I think yeah, I have it hung up over there <laughs> on the wall. So yeah, it was a, it was a real art piece, which was, I, I was really excited for it. It wasn't just digital. It was an actual like piece of art. So yeah, but she definitely was really good at, she was really good at taking feedback and like taking things that like into consideration that I wanted for the art piece. So yeah, she's super talented. Will you be working with her again? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, we're 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 coming up with a T-shirt design right now, actually, because I want to get some T-shirts printed. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I I still don't know how I'm gonna get them printed. I don't know if I'll go to a local store or if I'll just get them. There's this guy named Forrest Passage on Instagram, and he prints a lot of T-shirts. So I think I might get it done from him. Actually, does he print his stuff in Canada? Then I think he's in the U.S., and that's kind of why I'm reluctant to do it because it is expensive to ship it. But it it wasn't as bad as I thought, actually. So, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I keep uh, looking at companies here that produce in North America, whether it be uh, Canada, the States, and even Mexico, but I'm trying to stay away from overseas stuff just because there's too much dependency on other countries. Yeah, it, that that is true, definitely. Like, even when, like, I actually order stuff from overseas. Like, I ordered uh, from, came from Germany. It was the this dissection cassette box. Came with, like, 19 cassettes, their whole discography. I still love it to death, but it took, like, it took a few months to get here. And I was like, did I just get scammed? Because the website was a little shady. But it came eventually. <laughs> so, yeah. I got a good scam story. I was, uh, this is years ago. I was looking for some sunglasses. And uh, I found this this Oakley website that had a bunch of Oakleys for like 90% off because they were getting rid of old stock or whatever. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. It, like they have all the, all the uh, whatever you call the models that I'm looking for. So I bought three different pairs. And it didn't come out to very much. So I ended up paying the, uh, paying the website, and then a few days later, I was like, something didn't sit right. It just didn't seem like the Oakley website. It didn't seem too official. So I went back to the site. The site was shut down. So oh, I'm like, oh no! I just got scammed out of some of my, my some of my money, but I wasn't really pissed off because it didn't cost much. But then, like six months later, I had these fucking sunglasses show up. They weren't even anywhere near what the images looked like. like they really? Were <laughs> but I'm like, hey, whatever. I got my sunglasses. I'm cool. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> kind of turned again. out. Kind of. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, I have another question about your logo. Who did you work with yeah, for sure. that? Um, so I worked with Rotting Rain for my logo and it took okay. a while to do because I was talking to him and this was when I was renaming my project. And I'm like, I still have no idea what I'm going to rename it to. I was thinking of renaming it to Merit Lodge after the magic card. But then I was like, if people Google Merit Lodge, the card's going to come up. So mm. that, that's kind of difficult. But um. 
Yeah, eventually it took maybe like uh, I'd say a month, and then eventually I just was like, because we would chat every day about it, and then I was like, all right, I'll just pay you now, so you don't think I'm wasting your time. <laughs> After a few weeks, I came up with the idea, and then there was a last minute change. It was supposed to have like a little a staff or a scepter below it. Then I was like, can you do like a Nazgul looking person on the top? And I think it turned out really sick, actually. It's cool. No, I really like your logo. I obviously, um, I gravitate towards some of the weird and more intricate looking logos, and I love this. Oh, yeah, I see it there. Cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely, a logo also does a lot for a band. Like, if it's mm -hmm. a boring logo, then like, I, I don't know. I don't want that on my t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really stick out. I mean, there are some yeah, great exactly. bands with pretty boring logos, but you could say the same for artwork, too. There are some great yeah, albums 100%. that have shit artwork. That, yeah that's super true and that's why i was really set on having good artwork because i was like I, I don't know when you're looking like when you're on spotify even and you're looking at the song you're listening to you just look at the artwork and it immediately you can kind of paint a picture based on that artwork i found and with really crappy artwork it's kind of hard to do that <laughs> it's the same with fantasy books and uh stuff like that too it's like oh yeah totally. they say you should never judge a book by its cover but it's like sometimes that's what you have to judge based on it's like do i want to listen to this to me this sounds like a power or looks like a power metal style album so it's not necessarily going to be my thing so i might skip over it but if it looks like something i'll be interested in like let's give that a shot or at least read yeah it. yeah yeah no i totally get that 100 percent. what kind of direction did you give give the, the artist for the logo hmm and sorry what was his I, name or her name uh so his instagram name is rotting rain rotting rain, and okay. he uh he's he has another he has a project called hell moon okay so yeah yeah it was him and uh what direction i'm trying to think what i said i think i know i gave him a lot of creative freedom because i didn't want i don't know i didn't want him to feel like he had to do like work under a lot of constraints so i gave him a fair amount of creative freedom and he just gave me some sketches and i'm like dude that looks amazing and it just kind of worked out from there with artists any kind of artist the more creative freedom they have the better like uh i have a lot of tattoos or i guess just a couple big ones but whenever i go in and i talk to my artist i'm like this is a basic idea here's basically what i want and then he's like you cool if i add this you cool if i do this and he shows me a picture it's like yeah that's better than what i could have come up with the one yeah, time I, I did try to give him direction like oh this is kind of what i want he's like no that's fucking dumb <laughs> like yeah <laughs> yeah exactly and i find like i found when i work with a lot of artists then like a lot of the times they bring in new ideas that like I wouldn't have thought of that makes it just like 10 times better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, then uh, you can yeah. mesh everything together and see what comes out on top. Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Like, um, I'm mixing a song for a local band in Ottawa soon and they're, they're honestly pretty happy to give me a lot of creative freedom with it, which I'm happy about. I'm really excited to start mixing, mixing it, but I'm definitely going to approach them to make sure they like it first. I'm not just going to go ham. But like, yeah, I, I found that like that, it usually ends up with the best results because then you can just kind of feed off each other and, you know, bounce ideas, like you said. More collaboratively than kind of direction based. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That reminds me, you just, uh, I, I saw a post on your Instagram, I believe you jumped on Fiverr to provide mixing and mastering services. Is that kind of a way to not only make some money on the side, but also get better at it? Oh yeah, both of them. That's why I only had it on for like $20 because mm -hmm. I was just like, I'm honestly looking for experience at this point because if i if i set it for like a hundred bucks then like which is like around the standard rate i don't know what the actual standard rate is but like if i put it at a hundred bucks like why would anybody go to me who's the 16 year old with like less than a year of mixing experience as opposed to the guy over there with the studio and the degree like it's just like it's just an obvious choice so i just wanted to make it affordable for people because i'm also learning so i just wanted yeah just give them an opportunity and then they give me an opportunity so kind of works out and it's a good way to network too and then in the future yeah, you may be sure. able to work with them on a project or they might ask you for a guest spot or something like that yeah yeah 100 percent. it's definitely a good way to make connections too i like these little websites that they have like uh say substack or fiverr stuff like that you could promote whatever you're selling and whatever you're good at but for a reasonable price and that's actually how i found epic voice guy for my my intro as well oh really yeah so i jumped on there and he's like uh I just, I love the, the honest trailers on YouTube. I think they're hilarious. So yeah, I, yeah. I found out who that was and I saw that he was offering uh, voiceovers for, I'd say, a very decent price, especially considering what he does. And yeah. so I just messaged him. I said, can you do this? And he's like, yeah. So he sent me three different takes. One of them worked perfectly and he was, he was work, uh, willing to work with me on the price too, which was great. Really? At first That's I didn't awesome. know how long I'd be doing this for. I'm like, I don't want to spend hundreds of dollars for something I'm going to use once or twice. But he was great to work with. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's good to hear. Fiverr is definitely like, it's a really good tool I found because you can like, you can pretty much get anything on there. And it's, there's a lot of like obscure talents that like, I found voiceover was definitely something helpful. Definitely for one of my friends. He has like my friend down the street that I always play D&D with. He has a, he started a rap project, which I, I made the beat for and then I, I mixed it for him and I thought it turned out pretty well, but uh, we hired somebody on Fiverr to do a voiceover for a little part. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting. I didn't even think of that kind of stuff. So you could actually uh, bring people into your projects through websites like that instead of just reaching out and saying, hey, would you like to have a guest spot or do a solo or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I know there's a lot of guys on Fiverr that like they'll scream for you. They'll write drums for you. Like oh, I, I haven't really explored any of that, but uh, I was definitely thinking about it. Just to kind of like get new perspectives, I guess. Just see see what they can come up with. Just for some ideas, but I don't know yet. Yeah, and maybe different takes on like certain aspects of your music. And you could be like, oh, I can, you know, that actually sounds better than what I was doing. Or, you know what, I like what I was doing better, so I'm going to kind of avoid that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we touched on it a few times already, but you said you're uh, really, you really like Deathcore. So uh, other than Lorna Shore, who are some of your favorite Deathcore bands? That's a good question. Like like I said, Infinite Annihilator, I recently got into uh, Slaughter to Prevail. They're actually really, really crazy. And then like the Doom soundtrack, like obviously the great soundtrack. Um, That's about it for Deathcore. I'd honestly say I listen to more. My music taste is so all over the place, but like I've been recently been listening to a lot of death. Like I'm, I'm a huge death fan. Like they're wild. I've been definitely listening to probably mostly them and still obviously a lot of dissection because they're also amazing. But yeah, Going back to the roots. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> There's always something to be found in there. Like to me, timeless music means that you can go back no matter how far you go into a genre or how much time has lapsed and you can go back and still pick out new or innovative things about their music. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, well, death, like just their evolution was so wild. Like you can listen to a death album and it'll be different from the last like they started out with like really primitive caveman riffs and blast beats and then by their last album it was literally pretty much a prog album like it's just like so all over the place and i'd say sound of perseverance is definitely my favorite death record it's just there's everything in there <laughs> what about that record specifically that puts it above all else for you uh that's a good question i like the riffs, I like. There's a lot of really heavy riffs in there. There's a lot of really catchy riffs too. Like, um, "Spirit Crusher" is a really good song, and like, I'm I'm a prog fan too. Like, I love Dream Theater, Animals as Leaders, like Polyphia. I love all those guys, and like, just seeing how he like incorporated it in death metal at a time where like nobody nobody would put prog in death metal, and it just ended up working out. I'm glad that you brought up Dream Theater because uh, I know that you and the host of Tales from the Rift were kind of chatting about where Dream Theater is from. So uh, most of the members graduated from the Berkeley College of Music, yeah, yeah. except James Labrie. He is the Canadian in the band, so that's why there was a little bit of the uh, confusion there. Yeah, yeah, I I forgot about that actually. Yeah, well, I don't know. I they they were all from New York, right? I just need my memory jogged, <laughs> except for James Labrie. I honestly don't remember where they're from. I just know that they kind of got together at Berkeley and then started Dream Theater. So the reason that, like, originally I wasn't super into proggy style uh, music, whether mm -hmm. it be rock or metal, anything like that. But one of my friends turned me on to Dream Theater, and the first thing I noticed was how sick of a vocalist James Labrie was. And fuck yeah, Canada, because he's Canadian. But oh yeah, <laughs> over time, I've just really started to enjoy their approach to music. And it might not be something I throw on all the time, but if they're playing, I'll never turn them off. They've got great music throughout their discography. Yeah, for sure. And like, they're like, I, I don't know, I find they're pretty versatile. Like there's like pull me under, which is like, mo it's not super proggy. It's really catchy. And then it's like heavy. you put, it is heavy. I like that's it. that intro. It's is a really good song. Like, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That snare sound is so good. But um, then you'll have like dance of eternity, which is like too many numbers going on in that song, but it's still a really good song. And I find dream theater is really good at making like really confusing prog songs, like somewhat catchy. Like there's yeah, obviously a certain point. so often. Oh yeah, like, yeah, definitely. But like the um, brain just gets comfortable with what it's doing, and then all of a sudden it changes. You're like, is this the same song? Or <laughs> did oh I yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But like, I found with a lot of animals as leaders, some of it isn't like 
insanely catchy, but I just have so much respect for Toast Nabasi's guitar playing. I just, I can't really turn it off. <laughs> yeah. Well, some of it's like, to me, the catchy stuff isn't necessarily showing how good of a musician people are. Catchy means it's it's easy to understand, it's easy for your brain mm-hmm. to keep track of, but with yeah. a band like Dream Theater or whatever, they're jumping all over the place and it's more about their technicality and their proficiency as musicians. That's what they're showcasing rather than the catchy side of things. Yeah, 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 100%. Yeah. I've also come to realize that like there there's definitely a huge difference between being like a really, really good guitar player and like a really, really good songwriter because like the two can just be so different. Like if you're a good guitar player, then I don't know, let's say you can play pretty much every song known to man. It still could be hard to write like a catchy song. It's, there's, there's just like, I find there's a lot to be learned between the two. Like never stop learning when you play an instrument, I find. Never stop learning, period. It's, yeah, it's exactly. one of those things that should be a lifelong endeavor, regardless of what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned also that you recently got into classical music. What other genres of music are you into? And I know we've established some of your favorite bands, but do you have any more that you left off that list? That's pretty much who I've been listening to right now. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think just to name some like Dark Throne, Marduk. I love Marduk. Uh, Spectral Wound is honestly probably one of my favorite bands right now, just because like, you know, they're probably my favorite Canadian black metal band, honestly. And the fact that they came from Montreal, which is like two hours away from me, I'm just like, hell yeah. But um, yeah, I, I do like classical. And what got me like actually into it was Karak Ongren with their orchestration. And I was just like, this is awesome. Like just them blending the two. And then like classical guitar, um, like what got me into the classical guitar side of things was like Dissection has some classical songs I really liked. But I'd say Playing God by Polyphia. That's an awesome song just the sound of the guitar in there was amazing so then i picked up a nylon guitar and i've actually been writing with it a lot so yeah definitely taking some classical inspiration so does that mean that you're going to be incorporating some of that inspiration into your new music as well oh yeah yeah for sure definitely like a lot of different parts there's a lot of like noticeable classical inspiration (laughs) that's cool for people looking for your music where's the best place for them to find it for you um I would say Spotify or Bandcamp. You can just look up Dark Mage and I hopefully should show up. <laughs> but um, on uh, Apple Music, I have to check again because I use DistroKid to distribute all my music. And then I submitted my name change and I'm pretty sure they changed it on everything except for Apple Music. So I, I'm not too sure yet. That's still up in the air. I'm hoping it's changed by now. It should be. It's been like four months or five months it's been a long time <laughs> but yeah i'll have to check on that but yeah spotify uh Bandcamp, i would say those awesome. are the best ones well chris i want to thank you again for joining me today it's been a good chat and uh yeah, thank you for having me i wish obviously the best for your album and i can't wait to hear some new music yeah thank you so much thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time on gyro nation metal please don't forget to like share and subscribe the podcast can be found on twitter instagram and facebook if you would like to support this podcast please consider checking out my patreon Thank you.